0: designed by photographers for photographers. You are listening to Entrepreneurs, a podcast that inspires photographers and visual artists who live their best creative lives. My name is Michael Durr. I am your host and a full-time photographer here to give you some tools so you can build your life in creative self-employment. Beyond that, I get to sit down with an amazing community of creative professionals to talk about process, business, and the lessons that have helped them grow. So let's get to it. Entrepreneur Season 2, kicking off next. All right, here we go, folks. Last week, I did an episode on the new student loan relief plan, what the new policies look like and what it means for those of you eligible to receive those benefits. This week, however, I wanted to do sort of a part two to that episode, but not really a part two, more of a, a slight offshoot of that episode. So instead of focusing on debt relief, mostly, I wanted to focus on how the debt game in general, is set up for us to play, okay? What the narratives are that we tell ourselves to get so heavily into debt in the first place. So the goal here is to hopefully incite some of you to think about how best you would like to play that game, because ultimately, you are in that game, whether you signed up for it or not, okay? And more importantly, these are your decisions and not mine. I can't tell you what to do with your money, nor do I really find it my place to do so anyways. But I do recognize that one of the greatest epidemics in this country, in my opinion, is how we engage with debt on this massive scale, okay? Especially when you put it into context compared to the rest of the world. And so I do feel like it's my responsibility to highlight topics like this, because chances are every single person listening to this show has engaged with debt to some degree. Not every creative is going to leverage email marketing. Not every photographer is going to worry about copyright or licensing. So every once in a while, I think it's a good thing to put out an episode that could relate to just about everyone. And I'm willing to guess that one of the things that you and I share in common and everybody else listening is our use and reliance on debt. We have all been indoctrinated into this game. And I get the sense that most of us don't recognize that the moves that we've made and continue to make do not actually help us win that game. And what's even shittier is when you lose the game, it lasts a long time. There's no like, you lose, so let's reset, start a new game you just keep losing. You keep falling farther and farther down that hole into worse position. So in this episode, I'm going to leave you with three statements and their false narrative counterparts about the debt game that I hope resonates with you as you continue your creative journey or help support someone who is on their creative journey. So with that being said, what is up, everybody? Welcome to the show. We are on episode 88 of Entrepreneurs. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, If you are enjoying this content, you know what to do. Be sure to like, subscribe, review the show on whatever platform you prefer. Now, I told you guys that I'm going to leave you with three statements about the debt game, and I didn't want to falsely refer to them as facts because, well, they're really not facts at all. But uh, I did feel like they hold just a little bit more weight than mere opinion, so I tried to find a compromise. So let's get to it. Let's talk about how the debt game is set up for you to play. Number one, you are constantly marketed to to believe that debt is natural good and necessary. All right, so let's start off with a few narratives about debt that you've probably heard before, maybe even said before. Everyone has debt. It takes money to make money. This debt isn't as bad as other people's. Education is good debt. So if any of those things sounded familiar, I could go on and on. You're not alone. We've all played some part in justifying our debts with these narratives. And listen, it may not be your fault, at least not to start off with. The reality is we are constantly marketed to to believe that one debt is natural. Everyone's got debt, right? It's a normal way of life. Two, that debt is often good debt because the return might just have the potential to be worth so much more than the actual cost. And then three, debt is simply a necessity in our lives. How else are we going to get the things that we need and want without it? So to illustrate that, let me point out that the US actually pushes out marketing and advertising as a whole more prolifically than any other country. And it is not even close, both in total amount spent and by the percentage of national GDP. So we spend more than double the amount of money on advertising than the second place country in the world, which is China, eight times more than the UK does. And no surprise to me, much of our advertising actually revolves around relying on debt. Dave Ramsey actually says that credit cards are the most aggressively marketed product in the history of mankind the history of mankind. Now, he states that as a statistical fact. I have no clue. That could be a bunch of BS. But I wouldn't be surprised if we were close to accurate. right? I can rattle off a half dozen celebrities who are paid millions upon millions of dollars to coerce the impressionable minds of young people today to open up a new credit card with them and not their competitors. I get mailers almost every other day offering some promo for a new credit card. There's always new incentives and sign-up bonuses. So off of pure instinct, I'd probably put credit card advertising somewhere in the top 10 of all time, okay? But regardless of rank, let's just move forward with the notion that credit cards are sold to you aggressively and consistently. And they'll definitely be seeking you out on college campuses as early as they possibly can. So believe me, you're gonna be exposed to a lot of credit card marketing. So with such pervasive marketing, why wouldn't we think that credit cards are the only way to pay for things that we need? You'd be an outlier if you didn't. But these companies don't advertise the cost of unpaid balances or late payments. Nobody advertises how the same bank will give you 0.01% interest rate for your saving account, yet charge you 25% APR on their credit card or the fact that they'll tack on $30 for an overdraft fee. They don't have Samuel L. Jackson pitch to you that the interest will consistently compound. These are not financial programs here to educate you on smart money management. That is not their objective. They are businesses their responsibility are to their shareholders, not their customers. But that's the reality. We've accepted it as natural. It is what it is. The game is, let's highlight all these bonuses, the perks, the status symbol, maybe. And in fine print at the bottom of the site, we're going to list all the ways that we can legally take money from you. But there are alternatives, folks. Okay, If you can recognize that debt is not the only option, that it is mostly this marketing machine telling you, That you need more cards to increase your credit activity. You need to start early to have a deeper credit history, all those things. You can take measured actions. You can build emergency funds instead of relying on credit cards in case of an emergency. This is exactly what it's for, right? You can use cash to avoid interest rates and overspending. In fact, I would say going cash only really puts your priorities in place. So credit cards often lead to purchasing wants and not needs. If you go cash on everything, you tighten up on essentials only. Now, sometimes it's not pure advertising dollars that is really driving your debt consumption. Sometimes it's just a narrative that has been passed along so many times that you never stop to think twice about it. You know, has anyone ever told you that student loan debt was really good debt because the average college graduate earns a million dollars or whatever it is, more than the same person without a diploma? Of course you have. We've we've all been told that. And even if the financial ROI is not brought up, It's the education that's the greatest return, right? So there's no price too great to invest in your education. This narrative has been perpetuated for decades by parents, by teachers, by counselors, and of course, by the colleges. But what isn't perpetuated by those teachers, by those counselors, by those colleges, is that this is an adult decision, often resting in the hands of an 18-year-old who might be thinking more with their hearts and not their heads. Now, you can call me a jerk all you want for saying that, but what other five to six-figure decisions would you entrust to your high school son or daughter to make? I mean, they shouldn't be called student loans. They should just be called loans. So I ask you, how many parents, teachers, counselors, colleges are really sitting down with these young adults and actually crunching the numbers to calculate what you'd need to pay each month to Sally Mae upon graduation on top of the monthly payments that you have to make for rent, for utilities, for insurances and food? Like, what are those numbers? Now, it might sound like I'm hating on colleges and I'm really not trying to. What I don't like is simply the neglect of alternative measures that could make this higher education more palatable, more feasible, because ultimately the person who is going to pay for this education is the student. What plan is in place for that student to not be straddled with this debt for the rest of their lives? Have they been advised to work during their high school years to save up or have they just been encouraged to have fun? Have they been... Encouraged to look at community colleges, state schools, or consider living off campus to shed some of those dollars, or have they been so successfully sold on the once-in-a-lifetime college experience? Have they been told to research and apply to as many scholarship programs, if not more, as they have to schools? Or is that not brought up? Has anyone suggested to them that a gap year might actually help you build savings and gain perspective? Or has it been told to them that you have to go to school right now? Again, these students will inherit the debt. And for some of those fortunate few out there, the parents told them, hey, we got this. Just go to school, we'll pay for it all, which is great. But did the conversation ever come up on how those parents would actually pay? And I'm being serious about this because things can change. And understandably, the kids may not feel comfortable asking their parents about their financial situation, but that's where the teachers come into play. That's where the counselors come into play. That's where the colleges come into play. And they won't, but they, they should, right? Ask them, what, what kind of cash do you have on reserve. Did you guys set up a 529 plan when the kids were little? Did you automate contributions every single month? Once graduation hits, can you actually cash flow a four-year degree on your own, let alone a six-year degree or an eight-year degree? What if mom or dad loses their job? What if they realized at 52 that they didn't set up their retirement very well and they have to drop the tuition back on their 26-year-old son or daughter who had no idea this was coming? How often are these conversations actually coming up? I'm curious. But the game is just normalize student loans call it good debt, spare no expense on a good education, and eventually you can cross that economic bridge when you get to it. Okay, moving on. Statement number two about the debt game is that debt is super easy to acquire and much harder to pay off. Okay, acquiring a loan can be one of the easiest things that you can do. The process can take you as little as a few minutes to acquire. So if you want to apply for a new credit card with, let's say, a $3,000 credit limit, you can get that done while you're going through a car wash. It's that easy. If you want to apply for a $30,000 student loan, you could probably get that done in about 20 minutes, no problem. It's almost amazing to see how easy these transactions of acquiring debt can be. Paying it back, however, is another conversation entirely. First off, the user interface on a lot of these loan programs make it way more convoluted to, one, monitor your current balances, and then two, find the right place or the right page to pay on time. Many won't even send you an email notification or any alert that your payment is due. And this actually happened to me a few years back with an SBA loan. It was the easiest thing to get. Honestly, maybe it took me five, 10 minutes, but I never got an alert to pay. I never got a notice of what my balance was. All right. So in the end, my interest actually grew almost $5,000. And so I had to look back and say that really wasn't worth it at all. It's almost like these platforms want you to miss your payments intentionally, but they wouldn't want to do that, would they? No, nah, no, nah, of course not. Uh, on top of that, you have the interest to deal with, sometimes even compounding interest, which is the real killer here. So if you are paying minimums, not only will you not make a dent, your debt is going to grow. This is a real thing. So for those of you who don't know, uh, compounding interest is the interest that you're paying on both the principal and the additional interest. And so when it comes to investing, it can actually help you grow your money tremendously. But on the flip side, when you're paying compound interest on debt, it's just going to dig you deeper and deeper down these holes really fast. So it pays to know how debt can balloon for you if you neglect proper payments. Here's an example from Ramit Sethi's book, I Will Teach You to Be Rich, is certainly a very popular bestseller. Uh, I'll paraphrase this here. Let's say you have $5,000 in debt on a card with a 14% APR, which, by the way, is very modest. Uh, for the sake of this show, let's say you bought a $5,000 camera okay, to make it relatable, which many people will purchase. If you paid just the 2% monthly minimum payments on it, it will take you more than 25 years to pay that off. And you know why that is? It's because the interest compounded and you were rarely paying towards the principal. You would have spent a total of $11,000 on that camera by the end of it. And that's if you didn't acquire any more debt during that time, which is obviously very unlikely. So this is the power of compounding interest on debt. And it behooves you to understand that power. So let's take another example. This is from the Borrowed Future podcast, something that everyone should listen to if you have a chance. I think it can help you understand the power of student loans and how any person, maybe it's your son, your daughter, your niece, your nephew, um, you yourself, if you're not educated on it, it can take your college dreams and turn them into lifelong nightmares. So on the podcast, they interviewed a woman named Terry who actually did everything the right way. She had scholarships, she had grants, She worked two jobs while going to school full-time. But in her junior year, things changed. Her options ran out. Her grants got cut off. And so the school did what it would naturally do. They told her the only way that she could continue her schooling was to take out student loans. And they gave her the the spiel. They they gave her the pitch that the process is going to be really easy. It's very simple. You will not have to pay it back until about six months after you graduate. Interest won't start accruing until then. So by that point, you should have a full-time job. You will be able to make the payments. No problem. So she took it. She graduated with about $15,000 worth of student loans. All things considered, that's not bad compared to the national average, right? But even with that modest loan, the total amount today is now $60,000 and growing. And amazingly, she has been making her monthly payments. That is the point I want to drive home. Her debt grew $45,000 while she was paying it down. I promise you, she was not pitched that reality when she was told to take out loans, okay? no chance in hell anyone said that was a possibility. So the best thing that I think any of you students out there or recent graduates can do right now is to actually calculate how long it will take you to pay off your loans and how much more money you would have paid for that education, all right? So you can go to a student loan calculator online anywhere. Hell, I'll even link one in the show notes for you. You punch in your numbers, okay? Which is, by the way, is a great opportunity for you to get to know your numbers in the first place and then see what the response is. It is a humbling experience seeing how long you will need to make payments for and how much you will ultimately spend on that education. All right, my final statement, statement number three, debt is rarely a sole venture. All right, so another justification that we can often make on our debts is the, so what, I'll deal with it on my own terms justification. I'll work really hard. I'll pay these things off. You don't know the fire that burns inside. It's my problem, I'll handle it, okay? And I actually commend that mentality. It's the exact mentality that I had when I got out of school and moved across country. You know, My dad asked me, um, Mike, how are you going to handle all of these expenses? And I said, I'll just handle it. It's what I have to do. See, I was thinking far more emotionally than I was logically. I was seeing it as a, uh, a rite of passage. I needed to go through the shit. I need to go through the struggle to earn my stripes. This is what I have to do to become a man. Had I just taken a beat, though, had I listened for a second, thought for a second, calculated the basic costs for a second, I would have curtailed the amount of time I had to struggle. I can't avoid the struggle, but I didn't have to spend my whole life doing it either. And the real point that I want to make here is that this struggle typically is not going to be yours alone. You see, what foresight I did not actually have was that my eventual life partner would ultimately have to deal with whatever financial baggage I would bring to the table. And in turn, I would have to deal with hers as well. So if you have, let's say, $50,000 of student loan debt just by yourself, and you can only manage, let's say, $300 monthly payments, fact is, it's going to grow to about $120,000 after 30 years of payments, okay? All right, that is your shitty ass situation. How does that make you feel to burden your partner with that debt? I'll tell you how it was for me. My wife never went to college, so she was completely debt-free by the time we started commingling our finances. All our debt was on me. My debt became her debt. So as someone who loves my wife dearly, who wants to contribute, who wants to provide, who wants to make life easier for the person I care the most about, I can tell you from firsthand experience that it doesn't feel too good. Okay? Things like this can put a lot of pressure on a relationship. Now, what if it were the opposite situation? What if I had zero loans and my wife was the one that had, let's say, $100,000 of debt? Would that make me resent her? Now, personally, I would say not intentionally. I certainly hope it wouldn't. But is it possible that our inability to take our bucket list vacations or buy our dream home or even have children, for that matter, because of this insane debt, would it be realistic to say that I would have some residual frustrations towards her? I don't think it would be unfair to say quite possibly yes. I would never blame her. It's what I signed up for. But at the same time, those frustrations are somewhat inevitable. I would certainly understand if she felt that same way about me and those tables had been turned. Now, what if you both have debts, okay? Let's say you have $50,000 both of loans. So you're both equally frustrated with each other. You doubled your debt to $100,000 as a household. Well, that could easily become over $200,000 after 30 years of payments if you're just paying kind of monthly minimums. How does that impact your life decisions going forward? Does it prevent you from living the life that you want? Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe you still do all the things that you want. You know, you have your dream wedding. You get the house with the white picket fence, the nuclear family with the the three kids and the, the dog and the cat, a truck, a van, you get your yearly vacations, you start up your business and so on and so on. So your debt number can balloon even more. How does that impact your quality of life? Knowing your debt continues to grow and grow. So for all the young people out there who are currently on their own, not really interested in settling down just yet, I get it. Just keep that in mind that one day you may build a life with someone and the big decisions that you've made financially in your past, can impact the mental health of you and your family going forward. Now, that's not to say that you don't take out the student loan today or you don't put up the upfront equipment costs on your credit card today, but it is something to consider if you have a tendency to be, uh, I would say, cautiously reckless. So to wrap this up, I bring these statements to light because my hope is that everyone understands the game they are playing and how many of these narratives are actually driving us to consume more than we can afford. Not only are these narratives around debt somewhat normalized to the point of encouragement, but not enough people are educated on what the costs may actually be. And if we continue to make these huge purchases without really any thought, then the numbers can climb at such a ridiculous pace that it will eventually impact not just ourselves in the future, but our loved ones as well. And I believe that if we just think about these things for a second, we might realize that we've all been indoctrinated to some degree with these habits that may not actually align with our real core values. So we should question our biggest financial investments with a little bit more thought. We should be questioning whether or not this debt really is qualified as good debt. We should pursue alternatives to credit card reliance. We should forecast the impact these decisions could make on our future lives. And last but not least, we should be asking ourselves, is this debt that I feel so strongly about leveraging right now so that I can live my dreams today, ultimately? going to make my life a nightmare tomorrow. So with that being said, that is going to do it for me today, folks. That is my time. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Thank you for sitting through this longer episode than I intended. Uh, have a great day. Please like, subscribe, review the show wherever you can see fit. Have a great day, everybody, and I'll see you guys next week. What's up, entrepreneurs? Thank you for tuning in and making it all the way to the end of the episode. If you enjoy the content you just listened to, hit subscribe and tune in again next week. Also, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at EntrepreneursPod for updates, promos, and giveaway contests that we run throughout the year. And if you haven't already, be sure to check out our really cool website, EntrepreneursPod.com. It's a great resource for you to download informational PDFs and booklets, access discount codes from our amazing affiliates, and read what our audience is up to on our community blog. For now, I just want to say thank you for tuning in, supporting the show, and being a part of this journey. This is Michael Durst signing off for now, Entrepreneurs Season 2. Let's go.